my name is Ben Leffler. I am a former uh, recovering city council candidate from District 9, Austin City Council. We've seen just, uh, you know, our campaigns are year, uh, year to year, and we need something that is permanent, uh, that's putting out a progressive voice, that's putting out progressive messaging, that's activating people, that's doing all the things that a campaign can't do. Campaigns end. My campaign ended a little bit too early in my mind. <laughs> But we know that we have Progress Texas to put out a positive message that's connecting Texans um, around uh, you know, progressive values. It's Friday, September 29th, 2023, and this is the Progress Texas Daily Dispatch. Rapid response on the breaking news stories Texas progressives need to know. I'm Chris Mosier. An ominous move by anti-abortion forces in Texas. Carter Sherman at The Guardian writes that Jonathan Mitchell, the former Texas Solicitor General who's credited with coming up with the novel legal strategy that undergirds the Texas abortion ban, that of enabling everyday citizens to sue people they suspect in the acquiring of abortion care, has asked several Texas abortion funds to hand over information about every abortion they have assisted or facilitated in any way over the last two years, including details about the abortion provider, the type of care provided, the city and state where the abortion patient lived, as well as the identity of every person other than the patient themselves and their family members who may have helped the patient access abortion care. They're also seeking information about every person who the funds may have worked with, including volunteers and donors. The abortion funds involved have asked a federal court to grant an order that would keep them from having to turn over the requested information. Nisha Dave, executive director of the Lilith Fund, the oldest abortion fund in Texas, calls the requests preposterous and adds that, quote, these far-reaching requests could potentially affect thousands and thousands of people, unquote. On a related note, told you yesterday that Cochran County, a remote South Plains County that lies on the New Mexico state line west of Lubbock, was considering becoming the first county bordering another state to enact a so-called abortion trafficking ordinance using that same aforementioned legal strategy to allow private citizens to sue anyone they suspect of having driven through the county on their way out of state to acquire abortion care. Well, yesterday, Alex Driggers at the Lubbock Avalanche Journal says Cochrane County commissioners voted unanimously to enact that ordinance with no opposition present. As I mentioned yesterday, I have a long personal history with this part of Texas as part of my family is from there. And I can tell you that even before this, there was very, very little reason to ever find yourself within the borders of Cochrane County. And now there's even more reason to steer clear. We have enjoyed immensely, and I'm sure you have too, news reports of the proceedings regarding the Republican impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden happening in Washington at a moment of impending government shutdown, which we'll get to in a moment, especially regarding the utter lack of any shred of evidence these weenies have against the president. The most entertaining part for me personally has been the scathing commentary by Representative Jasmine Crockett of Dallas, who highlighted the number of times the word if had been brought into the conversation by GOP types attempting to paint a theoretical picture of culpability. Crockett asked witness Michael Gerhard, a constitutional law professor at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, for a count of how many times the word if had come up. He said he had tallied over 35 times. Crockett responded that if they had been playing a drinking game based on that word, she'd be drunk by now. The Guardian says Crockett also accused GOP members of ignoring evidence against Donald Trump while continuing efforts to impeach President Biden that she calls disturbing. 
On to the shutdown we were talking about being Friday. This will be the last daily dispatch of the week. So by the next one on Monday, a partial shutdown of the federal government seems likely to have begun. And make no mistake, that's by design of fringe right-wing Republicans whose ultimate mission appears to be the dismantling of the American government at large. Todd Gilman at the Dallas Morning News writes that Texas Republicans are not being shy about their intentions. Representative Lance Gooden of Terrell said last week on Fox Business, quote, the one lever we have is the power of the purse. If that's what it takes to control the border, then that's what we need to do, unquote. Representative Keith South of McKinney shrugs off a disruption of federal government services ranging from Social Security to border security to air travel security as a, quote, temporary pause in non-essential activities, unquote. There are voices of reason within the Texas GOP, which these days is a dangerous game for Republicans to play. Representative Jake Elsey of Midlothian, for example, who says, quote, if we have a government shutdown, the Chinese are going to be very happy. That right there, for me, is reason enough not to do it, unquote. Look for a future right-wing primary challenger to try and use Representative Elsey's opposition to shutting down the federal government against him. Speaking of the border, a global glimpse from Reuters and writers Brian Snyder and Daniel Besserill, who say the unprecedented influx of migrants has continued after dipping early this summer upon implementation of a new federal rule raising the bar for asylum consideration for migrants who cross without appointments and outside of legal points of entry, but has risen dramatically recently as thousands who were on the journey early this summer finally arrived, notably the lion's share coming from Venezuela, and at least nine have died in the attempt to cross the Rio Grande and barriers of razor wire put in place by Governor Greg Abbott's Operation Lone Star. Mission accomplished there, we guess. Neither draconian measures by Texas nor policy or action from the federal government have held an answer for what is now a growing humanitarian crisis at our border. Two things missing from most of the border coverage we've read. One, what the U.S. could do about conditions south of the border that motivate thousands of people to risk their lives and those of their children to come here. And two, what responsibility American employers should have in providing the opportunities north of the border that keep this wave coming. There are answers here. We're just not asking the right questions. Wouldn't be a daily dispatch without the latest antics of Ken Paxton. Another one here from Reuters and writer Brendan Pearson, who says Paxton's office has sued Yelp for allegedly misleading consumers by posting notices on its business review website stating that crisis pregnancy centers provide limited medical services. Crisis pregnancy centers offer pregnant women counseling while seeking to prevent them from having abortions, normally hiding their anti-abortion intentions. The lawsuit comes a day after Yelp preemptively sued Paxton in an effort to ward off his efforts. In August of last year, Yelp began posting a notice on crisis pregnancy centers' pages saying, quote, this is a crisis pregnancy center. Crisis pregnancy centers typically provide limited medical services and may not have licensed medical professionals on site, unquote, which Yelp argues is true and is also protected free speech under the First Amendment. Paxton opposes that true statement as he believes it may have, quote, dissuaded consumers from visiting these clinics in favor of clinics that perform abortion services, unquote. Speaking of our thrice-indicted Attorney General, Lauren McGowey at the Dallas Morning News writes that our senior U.S. Senator John Cornyn, whom Paxton has openly considered challenging for his job at the next opportunity in 2026, says he accepts the verdict in Paxton's impeachment trial but points out that the AG's acquittal did not erase all of his legal troubles. Cornyn says it's time to move on, though, quote, unfortunately, it doesn't look like the attorney general will be able to move on because of pending proceedings both in state court in Houston and in the investigation prompted by the whistleblower allegations, unquote, shots quietly fired. 
Another thing Texans will also have a harder and harder time moving past is our state's ever-growing water crisis powered by climate change and our continued explosive population growth. Lena Fisher at the Austin Chronicle highlights the water issues already underway in the southern Austin suburb of Kyle, Texas, which recently exhausted its allotted water from the Edwards Aquifer for the year and as a temporary solution bought a portion of neighboring San Marcos's water rights. Fisher asks, though, what happens when both cities run out of water at once? Officials at the Lower Colorado River Authority say many cities and towns in central Texas have already taken measures to reduce their water use in anticipation of future need and future scarcity. But worry continues about where the water will come from for one of the fastest-growing urban centers in the nation. Robert Mace, executive director at the Meadows Center for Water and the Environment at Texas State University, tells the Chronicle that he's optimistic for now about the potential of El Nino weather conditions to increase rainfall this year, hopefully replenishing Texas lakes and aquifers, but cautions Central Texans that, quote, if we don't get good rains over the next year, by the end of spring, I'll be a little despondent, unquote. Finally, this morning, as fall arrives, it's time for some Texas chili and a renewal of the timeless debate over beans, namely... Does Texas red chili have beans or doesn't it? If you don't know the answer to that question, see the link from the takeout.com and writer Ollie Kahn in our show notes this morning that purports to reveal the one unbreakable rule of Texas chili, which is highly dependent on context. In my experience, I've spent a lot of time with my chili pot and consider myself well-versed in Texas chili. And what I can tell you about it is if you're cooking chili for a competition sanctioned by Cassie, the Chili Appreciation Society International, which puts on the world-famous Terlingua Chili Cook-Off and oversees all the smaller qualifying cook-offs that lead to that event, beans are not allowed. Competition-grade Texas chili, by their standards, should have nothing but meat and base immediately evident. Not only no beans, but no pieces of onion, peppers, or anything else should be floating about. But if you're making chili at home, the rules are your rules. And if you like beans, go for it. Myself, personally, I prepare a pot of beans and put them on the side with the cornbread for folks who want them. That way, everybody's happy. And that's the Progress Texas Daily Dispatch for this Friday, September 29th, 2023. Links to all these original stories can be found in our show notes. Progress Texas is a nonprofit media organization promoting progressive messages and actions. While campaigns come and go, we're the permanent home for rapid response media and messaging in our state. And thanks to your support, our podcasts are now within the top 5% for listenership in the entire world. Please consider helping us continue our important work by joining our ongoing membership drive at progresstexas.org. And by the way, the last day to register or update your registration for the upcoming November elections is Tuesday, October 10th. Early voting begins on Monday, October 23rd. We have a website that has everything you need to know about voting in Texas. Go to govotetexas.org. I'm Chris Mosier. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you again on Monday.